Um, so we are continuing in our sermon series in 1 Corinthians with the theme of the sermon series is being rooted in the gospel of Christ and, and that getting a, a deeper rooting, kind of walking through the vision. It's fun. We had uh, Pastor Tom who was here last week. Um, he didn't know our vision casting because apparently I'm not a very good communicator, but he had this message prepared and it just fits so well with the theme of where we're going as a church. Isn't the Holy Spirit fun? It's great. Um, it's really cool. So um, as we go on, it's, I feel like it's natural human nature that we, um, we pick teams, right? We, we, we pick teams, uh, uh, you know, it could be sports teams. I, I read a meme uh, earlier this week that was like, guys pick their uh, teams before age 11 and then live the rest of their lives miserable, right? Because usually with a team, we pick the team, we're faithful to the team. Yeah, a team. And only one team ever wins. So there's, you know, hockey, 31 other teams that are just sad. Or, or um, uh, I'm not a reality TV fan, but it's fun watching reality TV fans when they get together because they start talking and the voices change, right? And you watch The Bachelor or Survivor, right? And you have your, your, your person, right? You pick your team. Uh, amazing race. I watched it once and I was so stressed out that I cried for them. But you, 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 you have your teams, right? And so now you defend them vigorously. This is my team and they can do no wrong and something critical happens. That's unfair and that's rigged or whatever we say, you know, we, we, we wave our flags, right? And whether intentional or not, we wave those flags, we defend those flags and, and we do the same thing when it comes with our faith. And the question I'm going to ask this morning is, are we waving the right flag, are we fighting the right fight? And this is where kind of we find ourselves here in 1 Corinthians. We're still in chapter 1, just a little further down. So we're going to start in verse 10. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together, to end your divisions, and to be united by the same mind and purpose. For members of Chloe's household have made it clear to me, my brothers and sisters, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, or I am with Cephas, or, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Or were you, in fact, baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus, where we get the name for the chips. I'm just kidding. And Gaius, so that no one can say that you are baptized in my name. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Otherwise, I do not remember whether I baptized anyone else. It sounds like me for a second, Mary. <laughs> for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with clear speech, so that the cross of Christ would not become useless. So, you'll notice that culturally here in 1 Corinthians, there's actually a lot of similarities that we can gain from and learn from. There's similarities there. And, and, and again, there's similarities to ours. And, and the similarity I want to point out is this division, the divided. We're, we're living in a very divided world. We have media platforms that magnify opinions, right? Uh, magnify divisions. We have podcasts, YouTube, uh, all the different avenues of media that allow for people to have a voice that maybe even shouldn't have a voice. And we look at that, and sometimes, oh, that's a really big issue. But I don't even think that is the biggest issue because we're living in a world that is fallen, with fallen people. And so seeing a world divided shouldn't be shocking. It shouldn't be surprising. Seeing tensions and things falling apart, I mean, that is literally what sin is. That is literally what we're seeing there. What I think is more concerning, where the main issue is that even though the, the world has fallen, uh, um, we have a church that can reflect just as much division as the rest of the world we're looking at. 
And the reality is we are supposed to be different. Because through Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be changed, transformed. And we walk, we are new creations. Yet somehow, we are looking very similar to a culture that isn't saved, that has yet to be transformed. And sometimes we look at this untransformed world with this feeling like we got to fix it when the only solution for a broken world is Jesus. My question is, we have Jesus. Why do we look like the world? Does that kind of make sense? Kind of. I'm saying it in a really soft tone. So (laughs) we should be different. When Jesus was with his disciples, he was getting ready to leave. He was about to die. And he, and he made this comment to his disciples who were worried about, what are we going to do without you there? And this is what Jesus said to them in John 13, starting in verse uh, 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, dis- my disciples if you love one another. We see here that Jesus has actually made, uh, I love the word tangible, but he's made real, he's made visible, he's made touchable by the way we, the church, this church, the greater church, the church in general, interacts with one another and interacts with the world. The way we act, the way we talk, the way we defend, the way we wave our flags actually makes Jesus tangible. You will know, they will know that you follow me, not because I am still here with you, but because I am actually physically here with you, right? Because now we have his presence in us. And how we interact, how we talk, how we handle and deal with the storms that come in life actually reflect Jesus Christ, right? The author of this letter is, is Paul, and he's talking about himself, the Apostle Paul, and, and, and he's addressing something that's really key here, and we need to understand this, that the messenger equals nothing. The messenger is not important, but it is all about the message. It's the message that has power. It's the message that is important, and it is the message that is greater, not the delivery method of the message. The gospel is greater than even some of our spiritual heroes. The gospel is greater than like the John Pipers, the Joyce Myers, the Bill Johnsons, the Timothy Keller, you name it, the Beth, Beth Moore, Dr. Jeremiah. The gospel is greater than any individual person. And they're great. They, they, we can learn from them. They're amazing teachers. But it, it, if we make any individual or any doctrine greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ, or anything else rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're missing the power of the gospel. And this is what Paul's addressing. It doesn't matter where the message is coming from. What matters is the message. And I feel like what's concerning is we're living in a divided church because we're more concerned with the delivery of a message than the true message of the gospel, right? And this is very similar to Pastor Tom's message last week where he said we need to focus not on what's different or what's going on, but we need to focus on the cross. So verse 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And here's clear. Not with clever speech, so that the cross of Christ would not become 
useless. Now, in some translations, you'll see useless or, or lose its power. That Greek word there is that it, the cross would not be emptied, meaning this stripped of its awe, of its weight, of its relevance. Church, hear me today. The message of the gospel still has power today. Right? And sometimes we look at this message of the gospel and think it is too simple. Right? And we got to look at this issue here, or we got to address this wrong. We got to address this wrong. We got to correct this wrong. We got to correct this wrong. Well, this morning I'm telling you, those wrongs get naturally corrected when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that actually transforms. When we try to act like the Holy Spirit, transforming a world that is yet to be transformed and saved by Jesus, then we have emptying the cross of its power, saying the message isn't powerful enough, i got to do something about it. And that is not what the church is called to do. That's actually how the church messes it up. Right? We continue reading. So uh, 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 Pastor Tom said, you know, we got to look to the cross and got to look to the gospel. So this morning I wanted to be able to communicate what is the gospel? What is this message? And the gospel is something that's simple, but there's so much power behind it. And the gospel is this, that while we were still sinners, while we were separated from God, while we were floating away purposeless, uh, uh, detached, Jesus died for us. And everything that once disqualified us, that separated us from God, from his favor, from connection with him, was nailed with him on that cross. That the penalty, the, the, the Bible teaches us, that the penalty for our brokenness and for our sin is spiritual death. Yet he took that penalty for us on that cross so that now we can actually walk in and have life. And that's not where the gospel ends. But then he's raised from death right into life. There's an example for each and every one of us that were once dead. Now we walk in life, and we actually share in that same power. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in each and every one of us, represented by His Spirit in us. And it is that power that demonstrates that God is real, and that He loves us, and that He has come to this world to change this world. It is the one unifier of every believer. We can talk different. We can look different. We can have all the different styles. But the message of the gospel is all the same. And the message of the gospel doesn't need anything else. If we continue reading, this is what Paul's explaining. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will thwart the cleverness of the intelligent. Where is the wise man? Where is the expert in Mosaic law? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made the wisdom of the world foolish? For since in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased to save those who believed by the foolishness of preaching. Thank you, Jesus. For Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach about crucified Christ, a crucified Christ, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, on the outside... The gospel is kind of out there. 
right? It's a little bit like, what? Why does someone have to die? What is blood? It's weird. We sing blood songs. It's just, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Yet to those who have experienced the power of Jesus Christ, it is everything that we hold on to, right? It makes perfect sense. And that's the beauty of this gospel. We demonstrate and know its power to transform. And so for people who look out and think, why does this make any sense? I don't understand that. They can look at our lives and say, well, Sam is transformed, and I can get behind that. Right? Because the message is foolishness, yet to those who believe, we understand that it is the power that we walk in. And it is our transformed life that demonstrates God. Not, how, not our wisdom, not our, 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 our style, none of that stuff. It is only the gospel. And we, the church, have been guilty of embellishing, uh, uh, trying to make it more eloquent, to polish the message of the gospel, presentation, performance. You know, we have smoke machines, lights. We do the good things. We, we, pastors are guilty of looking to education, and, and, and our, we, we, we tout our qualifications. Well, I got my master's degree here, and I got my degree here, and I do this, and I can say that. We look to popularity. We, we name drop. We do those things, and none of those things are needed because the power of the message of the gospel is still powerful and effective today. And that is the beauty of the message of the gospel that it's done through the power of Jesus Christ so that no one can stand here and say, It's me. It's me. It's Sam. I can do it. Look at, look at how I talk. Look at the way my hands move. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the message. And the Bible teaches today that God confirms the message of the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles distributed by the Holy Spirit. Not with presentation or performance. Not with correction or doing the right thing. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest threat to the North American church is not social reform, it's not war, it's not our economy, it's not our government, it's not who's running things. We have lost sight of the gospel because Jesus Christ didn't come to overthrow Rome, he came to overthrow our lives. And this morning, the gospel has the power to save today. It's the gospel that has the power to save today. It's not about living water. It's not about Sam. It's not about Cody. It's not about Katie. It's not about our programs. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. It is Christ in us, our hope of glory. That is the Holy Spirit. He has the power to save today. And today he has the power to save your marriage he has the power to save your family. He has the power to save you. He has the power to transform. He has the power to bring healing. He has the power to bring deliverance because there's power in the name of Jesus. We learned Paul would teach the church in, 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 in Philippi that it's because of Jesus Christ that God now elevated him to the seat above all names, that at his name, the Bible says, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is every knee on in heaven, on earth, and beneath the earth bows before the power of Jesus Christ. And it is that power that we, the church, need to represent, and it demonstrates, and it begins in our personal life. When we're walking through brokenness, the cross still has power to restore your brokenness. 
We look at our family in disarray. The power of the cross still has power today. When we're walking through our own hearts, and there's areas that are hard and broken, the power of the cross still has power today. The question is, are we going to the power of the cross, or are we going to something else? Are we waving the right flags? Are we waving the flag of the gospel? Are we demonstrating the flag of the gospel with our life? The gospel has the power to transform and to make whole. So do we reflect a cross that still has power or one that has been emptied? It's a strong word. But it's a question I have to ask myself daily. (laughs) Am I walking in? Am I praying from a position that believes that the power of the cross still has power today? that my life should reflect hope, that my life should reflect love, that my life should reflect grace, that my life should reflect peace. Because whatever storms may come, I'm going to make it through because my house was built on you, Jesus Christ. No matter what anyone does to you or any brokenness that the world demonstrates, the cross still has power today. I'm going to invite uh, the team back up. And we're just going to close with worship. And as we're worshiping, I just want us to begin to, again, we said it just during worship, but what are the areas in our lives right now that we we are walking defeated because we think there just is no hope? There is no solution, right? You just begin to to begin to picture it. As you're beginning to picture it, I don't know, I just want us to declare whether it's just in our heads or even out loud, even as we're singing, so the voices of other people mask it. That, you know, Jesus, your cross still has power over my marriage, has power over my kids, has power over my finances, has power over my work, has power over my attitude, has power over. I just begin to releasing and declaring the power of Jesus. It's power over my anxiety. He has power over my health. Right, so let's just start, let's begin to stand together. Let's just begin singing and just believing in the power. And then we'll, we'll respond with... Uh... So uh, uh, this morning, let's just begin with the first response. And that is, um, we want to pray through some things. So we, we declared this morning that the power of the cross, the cross still has power today. And so we're going to take hold of that power. And I'm just going to begin praying for some things. And I'm going to invite you guys to begin agreeing with me. We're going to be praying for um, healing, for physical healing, whether it's for ourselves or for some people that we know. We're going to be praying for forgiveness, that we would have the power of, 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 of supernatural grace, that we would be able to walk in forgiveness. We're going to be praying that, you know, when we're stuck in these cycles of brokenness, we're going to pray for some deliverance and some freedom there. We're going to begin to pray for our marriages. We're going to be releasing things in, in our marriages. We're going to be able to pray for uh, um, our family members, you know, for, for those that, you know, you know, for salvation in our family, all those things. And as I just begin praying, my invitation is to begin agreeing, to begin agreeing with me. And uh, yeah, so let's just begin to pray. So first of all, Holy Spirit, we just begin to pray and declare 
that your name still has power today, Jesus. And we take hold of the power of that cross. We take hold of your power, Jesus, believing that you have the power to save today. And so we declare that salvation. We speak to, to the physical bodies that are, that are walking in brokenness where we need your wholeness and healing. And we just declare your healing. We declare healing over family members that are even are physically here. We pray from the top of our heads to the tip of our toes. Father, we pray for, for, for broken feet. Uh, 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 um, we pray for sickness, disease. We pray against arthritis. Those are the different uh, elements of brokenness. And we bind it in the name of Jesus. We just release your name. And we take on and we clothe ourselves with just the, the robe of healing. Father, we pray for hearts that have been broken. And we just declare healing in the name of Jesus. Healing for hurt hearts. Healing for those that are offended. Healing for those that haven't been able to walk in forgiveness. We pray into those memories that bring up anger and, and distrust and brokenness. We pray healing over those memories in the name of Jesus. We pray healing for, for minds that are, that are stuck in the cycle of anxiousness and sadness and broken and depression. And we speak healing, Jesus. We pray to those uh, the hormones in our brains and our bodies that are throwing things out of balance. And we declare healing. And we say, your cross has the power to heal today. We pray for our thinking, for broken thinking, for thinking that, that is afraid that a thought or a word can change you. We bind that in the name of Jesus and we release your grace, we release your power, we release your love. We pray against guilt in the name of Jesus. We pray against shame in the name of Jesus. Father, we begin releasing your salvation in our families, Father. We pray for our sons. We pray for our daughters. We pray for our spouses, our nieces, our nephews, our neighbors, the people in our sphere of influence, Father. And we declare you are mighty to save. And we pray for miraculous salvation in the name of Jesus miraculous salvations. I thank you for testimonies of visions and dreams and of revelation, Father. We just thank you that you are mighty to save. And we just declare your salvation. We declare your salvation, Father. We pray for marriages that are on the rocks and that are breaking, that even the ones that have been broken. And we just declare your restoration in the name of Jesus. We pray for spouses with hard hearts, that through the power of the cross, that by your power, Holy Spirit, you begin to soften hearts in the name of Jesus for those that have been hurt and rightly hurt by the church and we just pray grace would flow through their lives Jesus we pray for healing and salvation in the name of Jesus and father where we have failed to represent you father we repent we repent and we turn we ask you Holy Spirit teach us Holy Spirit teach us we declare that it's all about you Jesus Christ and your gospel where we have made any other teaching or any other thing greater than your name and your gospel, Jesus, we repent and we turn. We thank you that the cross has not been emptied of its power, but it's full of power today. We declare these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We believe in the power of Jesus Christ. So this is also how we can respond. If you want further prayer, there's going to be people up here willing to pray for you. There's something that happens when we take that step forward. We take hold of it and we take ownership. Saying, yes, I believe this for myself. So I invite you to do that. On my left, we have spiritual recess happening. And if you need some even deeper prayer, but we maybe actually, let's let's pause spiritual recess for a second and have everyone that's a problem.